and going through the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible, hopefully you do. Um, Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament, chapter 8. And as you're turning there, let me just frame what we're going to look at today around a question, a moment that can maybe help our lives relate to a somewhat unrelatable story at the first read of it. Have you ever struggled to see something that was right in front of you? And you're just looking and you just can't see it. As I was thinking about this challenge, as, as we go through this, I, I think of Maybe something some of the husbands in the sanctuary can relate to, that moment uh, when we're supposed to find something and it's just, I can't see it. I, I try to make my wife a coffee every morning, and she prefers her coffee with cream. Occasionally, I have to present it black because we run out of cream. That happened not long ago. I come to her, here's a coffee for you, and she says, where's the cream? And I was like, unfortunately, we are fresh out of creamer. So I wasn't able to add the creamer, but enjoy. And she goes, oh, don't worry. I actually just bought some. It's in the fridge. Would you mind going and grabbing it? And then we can put the creamer in here. I can enjoy the start of my day. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I open the fridge, and here's the moment. I'm like, I do not see it. I'm, I'm so sorry. But I'm from the top of the fridge to the bottom and then back doors. There's no creamer here. So go back to my wife, and I say, I don't know what happened, but there's no creamer in the fridge. And, of course, she stands up, totally gracious, not annoyed at all because she's an amazing, amazing wife, and she stands up. And in about five seconds, she looks in the fridge, and she's like, are you blind? <laughs> to which I reply, sometimes I am. <laughs> and sometimes we all are. And creamer is somewhat insignificant in life for the most part. I mean, don't tell my wife that, but there are parts of life that we're blind to that really matter, actually. And we, something right in front of us, we still can't see it. Uh, there's questions and there's circumstances and there's challenges right now in your life that you're not sure what the answer is and what the way forward is. Or how about what we just did? Most of us were just singing, great is thy faithfulness to God. And some of us were thinking, I don't see it. I, 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 I understand that others can see it. I believe their sincerity. I believe they're singing it. But right now in my moment, or maybe never have I seen it. And in a sense, that is the condition of life. There is so much of our life that has a solution or has something right in front of us that we cannot see. And it is with that in mind that we look at a story that otherwise may seem unrelatable because Jesus is about to heal blindness total, absolute darkness of sight. And he's going to do it in a way that raises all sorts of questions for the literal version of the, the narrative, but answers all sorts of questions for our lives. So there's amazing hope in the simple reality that we are singing to the faithful God this morning with the confidence that he can open blind eyes, that he can show us things that were right in front of us that we otherwise wouldn't have seen. So with that in mind, we start by looking at one story in the Gospel of Mark. He moves so quickly that usually we're sandwiching a lot of stories into one theme. This morning we stop at just this one healing. And it starts in verse 22. So track with me. We will, true to the story, we'll look at it once. And then we'll take a second path with a new set of lens to see it more clearly. Which happens often in the reading of scripture. It says in verse 22. Then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him. And 
begged him to touch him. So this is not uncommon so far in the, the stories of the ministry of Jesus throughout the Gospel of Mark. Wherever he goes, whether it's in a region that is densely religious with Jewish people expecting a Messiah and a miracle worker to do something great, or as he travels to the fringes of the region and people that have no religious context or no religious expectations, across the board, people throughout the ministry of Jesus look to him with miraculous expectations. And oftentimes they would bring others to him because they knew that he could work miracles for someone that they loved in their lives. And that's exactly what he have here. Uh, this will be a healing that fits up until a point into the patterns of Jesus' ministry so far. Uh, but here's where it starts to look a little bit different. In verse 23, it says, So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. Nothing unusual about that. The man is blind. He can't see. So Jesus, as a, uh, a reminder of the compassion of the Lord, holds this man's hand, and he begins to walk him out of town. Uh, one of a couple clues that this particular miracle and healing was not for the masses. It wasn't for the crowds. He did not do this in front of the, the public site as he did many miracles. And there's probably a reason for that. And we'll look at that as we continue to go. So he's, he's led him out of town. And now it gets a little bit interesting. It says, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Now, that whole sentence is full of questions that we should be asking. One is breaking the pattern that Jesus normally does. He doesn't just heal with a word. Throughout the Gospel of Mark so far, he has the power to heal, and it seems to be completely unfettered by his need to physically touch anyone. We remember not long ago, a woman came and had a demon-possessed daughter. Jesus cast the demon out of the daughter without even being in the same room. So there's definitely not a need to touch, and yet with this man, he spits. We're going to look at that as we take a second pass, but it's worth looking at with a question. The second part, and maybe the bigger question, he says he asked him if he saw anything. This is the only miracle of Jesus where he's going to interact with the person being healed to see if it worked, as if he's wondering whether he still has it, whether he's still got the magic touch to open people's eyes. He's like, how does it look? Now, as the story continues to unfold, there'll be more surprises because the man's response is unlike any other response that people have to the healing power of Jesus. It says in verse 20, the man looks up and says, I see men like trees walking. In other words, a blind man now has some sight, but not full vision. I mean, if you just think about what he's describing, if you squint your eyes, if you take your glasses off, for those of you who could just practically see this lesson, if you don't have full vision, people walking around could be interpreted as all sorts of things. And part of what is happening is he does not have full sight. As, as much as you could read into what is being described by men walking around like trees, the, the main point is that it wasn't a complete healing. So now we have our Another question that arises, what is this lesson teaching us about the power of Jesus? Is it on some sort of uh, battery-operated energy tank and he's running out on low? Is he blown a fuse and he's now wondering if he even has enough power? And so as the man describes half sight, it says, then Jesus puts his hands on his eyes again. So he's got to take a second crack at it. 
And he made him look up again, and he was restored, and now he sees everything clearly. So we have, for the first and only time in the miraculous healings of Jesus, a two-phased healing. Why? As the story will conclude, it says, as Jesus often does, he sends him away to his house, and he says, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. And that's end of scene. That's as far as we'll look at today. And yet, we can't help but look a little bit forward and a little bit back to try to find some understanding. So that's our first read. And in the lesson of not being able to see what's right in front of us, we have to begin to answer these questions by looking further into the text. A, a practical Bible lesson study tool is that most of the ways the Bible speaks to you require some deeper understanding of it. And the way that this text is not only relatable to us, but it is an unlocking key to the times that we live in, is by viewing this text not simply as a literal healing, but also Jesus doing this not on accident, but on purpose to give a spiritual lesson through the physical healing. And this is a lesson that will be very timely in the narrative that is unfolded in Mark chapter 8. Remember, the whole story starts with people who are struggling to see clearly. All of last week, we looked at two categories of people that were struggling to see Christ clearly. The, the Pharisees came and said, we seek a sign right after Jesus fed 4,000 people. They're struggling to see the sign that was right in front of them. And then on the boat into this narrative, the disciples listened to Jesus talking about being aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They don't see clearly what the feeding of the 4,000 was all about. And we left off last week with Jesus saying to his disciples, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have hearts, but you don't perceive. When will you finally understand? And it was that in mind, with the theme of people to struggle to see, Jesus is using this blind man as what is often called a living parable. And remember when we, we started the Gospel of Mark and we got into Mark chapter 4 and it said, Jesus taught the parable of the sower. And it was a parable that helps us understand that Jesus taught and did miracles in a way where they combined into one spiritual lesson. A parable is a spiritual truth that is so rich and so in-depth that it requires an earthly story. And then Mark says in chapter 4, without a parable he didn't teach. Which means even after his teachings ended... All of his healings, all of his interactions with people, all of the ways that he offered uh, provision and guidance, there was some spiritual truth in all of the physical interactions. And this might be the most important one of them all. And it is the spiritual truth of not simply how he opens physical blind eyes, which we, we, we cling to with great hope, but if he can open the eyes of the physically blind, what this says is, Jesus has the power to open the eyes of spiritually blind people. And this is where we tune in. Because there, it may be true that there is a physically blind person here. And for them, there is hope that they will once see, they will someday, in the timing of God, see everything clearly if they belong to him. But all of us can relate to spiritual blindness. Every single one of us should pay attention to the spiritual blindness that Jesus is willing to heal. And so now we read all of this, in some ways, how we read the parable of the sower. We read it once, and then Jesus says, now let me explain to you what each thing in that parable represented. Remember, the sowing of the seed, the seed was the word of God. 
the seed lands on soil, the heart is, or the soil is the condition of the heart. And in the same way, we can look at this and say, what, if, what is each one of these points of the story telling us about who we are as people that can learn a spiritual truth from an earthly story? So we start again and look at some of these moments. He says, then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man. We stop. The whole story revolves around this very simple thing. This man was blind. And this is where we look at all of the ways Jesus interacts with blind people, and he's always talking about spiritual blindness for those who have ears to hear. John chapter 9, if you're interested in this further, uh, to further this kind of study of blindness, an entire chapter is dedicated to the healing of a blind man. And Jesus kind of gives the glossary of the parable in this one because as he heals the blind man, they're approaching him and his disciples say, was this man, uh, who sinned that this man was born blind? It was, in other words, is he being punished because of his own personal sin or were his parents sinners and now there's a curse on their son? And Jesus says, nobody sinned that he was born this way. He was born this way that the work of God could be revealed in him. And as Jesus opens his eyes, he is then battling with Pharisees who are arguing with him, and he calls them blind. So spiritual blindness is equated to what Jesus is dealing with this man in. So how does this relate to our culture? What hope can we find? Look what Paul says about spiritual blindness. It helps us understand the world that we live in, the times that we live in, the frustration of something right in front of people and they cannot see it. Paul says that is true of the entire unbelieving world is that they are spiritually blind because they cannot see what we see. They cannot see the faithfulness of God and proclaim it like we proclaim it. Why? It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Listen to this. Whose minds, not eyes, but minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe in the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, lest it should shine on them. Paul is saying that people's minds are blinded by the God of the spirit of this age. So when we think about one category of blindness or people struggling to see, we think of the Pharisees. Why couldn't they see Jesus for the miracle worker that he was? Why couldn't they listen to his teaching as authoritative, not like the scribes and the Pharisees, but by someone who speaks as though he wrote the text? Because they were blinded by the God of their age. And what was their God? Their God, if you just study what the Pharisees, starting out with a good intention, went horribly wrong, was the law. They had elevated the law and the reading of the law and the execution of the law in such a way that it actually replaced their love of God. They loved the law, which led them to the love of self-righteousness more than they loved God. And because of that, they're literally blinded. They couldn't see past it. Whatever Jesus did, they filtered it through the lens of, well, how does this line up with the law? How does this line up with our traditions? How, how is he able to do the things in light of all that we know about the law? And he battled with them over and over again. And they were unable to see anything good that he did because the law was over... The, Christ, and it blinded them. And so now you think about the God that has blinded lost souls, the spirit of the age that we live in. And in some ways, there's all sorts of lowercase g gods that people are blinded by. But when you really think about the time that Jesus was preaching in our time, it's very similar. 
And the lowercase g God of our age uses the same tactics. He blinds people with the law, leading them unto self-righteousness. There is such a high value on personal self-righteousness and personal morality with whatever inserting of the lowercase g God you want to use that people cannot see the true living God. So they elevate sexual identity. And by that, it's like you cannot see past it. Everything filters through that. And they're blinded by their commitment to that as the highest bar of morality that they cannot see through to the God who created sex. Or you elevate the, the, the lowercase g of the God of politics. And it's like, well, I can, I can go to church as long as it aligns with my party values. And it's elevated so highly that they can't see God in all of his goodness no matter what he does. And in the same way, the Pharisees would look and they'd follow you and they'd see if you were washing your hands, if you were committing to the, the work of the, the, the rest of the Sabbath and the work of the law. And if you messed up at all, you were unclean. What a burden. In fact, Jesus says you lay burdens on people that you don't even help them lift. Well, look around in the world that we live in. Young people walk around on eggshells, afraid to say what they believe afraid to actually live out the God-given instinct towards a God that they would worship because they don't want to be made unclean. They use the word cancel, but it's the same concept. This person's unclean. Look what they said. Look what they believe. Uh, by God's grace, our God makes unclean people clean. Our God people, he takes people that are canceled and brings them right back into his family. And so the first reading of this is the blind man is spiritually blind, just like the lost people of our world. And one of the lessons we can learn is that if we see a real blind man begging, lost, running into walls, ruining their life because they don't know where to go, I hope your response would be compassion. I hope that you would be moved that they are blind and there's nothing they can do about it. I hope the response would be like, well, look at, would not be, look at this idiot. This guy has all sorts of wrong. He has no idea what he's doing with his life. He has no idea where he's going. This guy is so blind. Well, the spiritually blind need your compassion. They've been blinded by the God of this age, and they cannot see beyond the law. And so now we ask a very important question. How did Christ heal blind man? How did the blind man get healed? Well, if for all of you who, as we, as we talk about the lost of our age and those who do not know Christ because they're blinded by the law, maybe there's some people on your mind. Maybe there's demographics of people on your mind or there's a culture on your mind, there's a neighbor on your mind, there's a classmate on your mind. Here's the beautiful next step of the living parable. It says that the blind man was brought to Jesus. The blind must be brought. The blind must be guided. The blind cannot lead the blind, and those who cannot see do not know where they're going. So I close my eyes, and I try to, with spiritual senses, see what the story is here. And there's a man, maybe he's a blind beggar. You're not going to make much money as a blind man in any culture. But you have faithful people in his life that have compassion. And they look at him and they, they, they tell him this great news. This is gospel. There's someone in our town. And they say he's a miracle worker. And they say he could 
touch your eyes and you could see again. Come with us. Come see this miracle worker. Come, come have your life radically changed by someone who could open your eyes. And the benefit of physical blindness over spiritual blindness, as this man hears an invitation, he probably didn't respond, I'm not blind. <laughs> one, one great thing about physical blindness, in fact, in John 9, he says it would have been better if you were born blind. Because then you know you're blind. If your vision of God is blocked, if your eyes are closed, if your heart can't see and your mind is black, one of the first steps is to admit that you don't know what you're doing with your life. That you cannot see, you're not sure why you're here, the vision of your life, the purpose of your life. But the blind must be brought. And it goes in two directions. For those of you who came here with a vision of God, an expectation that the word could come alive and speak to you in real time, a heart to worship him, you can see. But if you think back to the time when you couldn't, there were people in your life that brought you. There was a friend, there was a mother, there was a father, there was a teacher, there was a pastor, there was a neighbor, there was a coach. But none of us, with very rare exception, none of us stand before the presence of God as believers with opened eyes without being brought. And I love the way that I get to be reminded of this lesson every summer at our church picnic. We go to the beach, the Boise River. It's amazing. It's a beach. Look at it. People are like, that's not a beach. It's a beach for us. <laughs> and you always see the ones that brought them. There's people that stand and they're waiting to go under the water to come out with new vision for life. And I love the tears of joys and the cameras and the hugs of those that brought the blind person. And the other direction it goes is how we doing with our blind friends? Are we moved with compassion that they have no idea who God is? Are we moved that without their eyes being opened to know the reality of God, creator God, visible image Jesus of the invisible Father God, Savior of the world, unless we bring them, they will remain blind. And so for the person that comes to your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the encouragements this morning is to keep bringing them. Keep imploring them. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that now as new creations, as darkened eyes that now see, we have become ambassadors of Christ. We are his diplomats. As if God was pleading through us, be reconciled to Christ. It is one of the missions of your life is to take the spiritually blind culture that we live in and be a light to the world. The blind must be brought. And now we come to the question we should always ask when it's a parable or a story that kind of points us to these simplistic applications, bring your lost friends to the Lord. Well, what does that look like? How do you bring people to Christ? Well, you can witness. The Lord says we have evangelists that do that as part of the offices of the kingdom. But now we read further because we get something so practical as to what it looks like for Jesus to open the blind eyes. It says they took the blind man by the, or Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And now we come to the question of the story. 
And when he spit on his eyes and he put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. You will not find a definitive answer in, you know, from behind the pulpit or written commentary on why Jesus chose in this instance to go beyond healing with a word. Why he chose to make it such a physical and somewhat intrusive healing. Again, trying to make the text come alive with our spiritual senses. It says he spit on the man's face. Let's, let's imagine that for a second. And as I come to this point in the story, this is where I go through the, the, the practice of asking God to make a text something I can see that I couldn't see. And so here's what the Lord put on my heart. And my interpretation of this will come by way of my wife and my youngest child, my son Tommy, because they have an interaction that helped me understand this moment. Tommy wakes up in the morning and, like most kids, struggles to see. And then there's a moment that happens where Daniela looks at him and sees what she calls in Spanish, for you Spanish speakers, lagañas. It's essentially, for the English speakers, it's a bunch of eye boogers that are all over the eyes. And she does what every great mom does. <laughs> she takes some spittle and she puts it on her thumb and she wipes it from his eyes. And of course, he does what every child does. He fights her and he yells and he tries to run away. But when you see the interaction of someone that's got a buildup on their eyes, now we get a practical reading of what Jesus might be up to. Now you think again, think of the economic status of a blind man in first century Palestine, doesn't have the ability to cleanse his eyes all the time. They're not in heavy use. He's probably not touched a lot. And so Jesus might very practically be getting the junk from his eyes. Jesus very practically may be that he's just cleaning. So as the miracle is about to take place, Jesus is preparing his eyes to open. And with that in mind, we think very practically what that looks like in the spiritual blindness coming to sight. And so with that in mind, with the, the, the cleansing of a mother's thumb in mind, let's consider this verse about how God cleanses us. It says in Ephesians Chapter 5, speaking of Paul exhorting men on how to care for their wives and comparing it to Christ caring for his church. He says this, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, meaning the church, with the washing of water by the word. So an exercise of washing of the water by the word is what we do every Sunday. We, we as a church have things that we need to be cleansed of. We have sins that need to be cleansed. We have different areas of growth that need to be built up. And the word is like a solvent to your soul. And this is true throughout scripture. It's a way for you to be, by God's grace, built up and cleansed and shown the way that you should go. And the word itself is a living parable of cleansing. And so when you practically ask the question, bringing people to Christ and having them open blind eyes, what does that look like? It looks like the word. It looks like the confusion that we have in our times. How do we take a lost and dying, God-hating culture and bring them into the power of sight? That they could know the loving God of grace that brings them in. 
It is impossible without the power of the word of God. Paul says, I'm unashamed of the gospel of Christ. It has the power to save. And there is an appeal again to your own story. From blind to sight, there were people that brought you, and without knowing your stories, I can tell all of you that have had a real encounter with the living God so that you could see him clearly, it did not happen without the preaching of the word. It happened when the word, like the parable of the sower, landed on your heart, and it actually grabbed root. In his word, we have clarity, which is a good reminder in a confusing time to be a believer on how to actually win the battle for lost souls. There's debates all the time about how we actually reach a culture. And one of the challenges is the longer we step away from God as a people, as a nation, as cities and, and, and groups of people, the more Bible illiterate we become the less we know about the truth that's revealed in his word. And so there's a temptation in churches, in the hearts of believers, as they're bringing their friends to Christ, is to, because people are Bible illiterate, to not use the Bible. Or there's a trend to say, well, if you bring them to church, they probably don't know the words and, and how to really you know, understand things like sin and sanctification, justification, glorification. So let's just package all of this in language they can understand, and, and, and the Bible can be secondary to bringing people in in a way that they feel welcome. We don't find that pattern in the ministry of Christ. The pattern that we find is that the word of God challenges people in a way that offends them. Now, this is a controversial statement, so chew the meat, spit out the bones. Unless, we are, unless you are willing to have the word of God spit on your face, to cleanse your eyes, you will not ever receive him. We can be like children as it hits us, and we're like, this is cleansing my eyes, but it hurts, and it's painful, I want to run away. But the word of God will offend you. The word of God says you're a sinner that can't save yourself. The word of God says the heart, your heart, deceitfully wicked. The word of God says the culture that says everyone but Christ is upside down and wrong because we say only Christ. There's no salvation apart from the cross of Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father through Christ. And we take the word and we're cleansing out the eyes of the, the, the blinded, spiritually blind people of our culture. And unless we are willing to do what my wife does for our son with the word of God, we will never open blind eyes because it is God's word, not ours. And so then we come to the second question of the story. Why was he only half healed? He says, what do you see? And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. He has partial vision. So then it says, Jesus put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he restored and saw everyone clearly. And what do we make sense of that for? Well, the answer is not, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. Jesus didn't get it right the first time. That's not the lesson. There's something more happening, and that's why it's so important to look back to the stories that led us here, people who struggle to see. Pharisees, spiritually blind like a blind man. Disciples, partially blind. They didn't see Christ in all his glory. In fact, when we go to next week, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? What do you see? 
Peter will get it half right. You're the Christ. Jesus says, you've said, well, I'm going to die on a cross. And Peter says, I rebuke you. Partial sight. And the lesson is that the disciples had a lot to learn about what Jesus actually came to do. They still didn't understand that he must suffer many things, die on a cross and resurrect on the third day. Now we see that. But we still don't see perfectly. We still see in so many areas of the way that God wants us to be hopeful and joyful and pressing on unto heaven and bringing people to Christ, we still see all of it like men looking more like trees than the clarity of heaven. And so the question now is for those who believe in Jesus and love Jesus but still have something right in front of our face that we can't see. How do you see beyond what you can't see? And so for this, we, we again look at the parable as clues to something more meaningful. And two times Jesus says, look up to the man. It says he touched him and made him look up. And the only way to get more understanding from what God is showing us in the world, in the, the things that he has for us, the hope that we cling to, is to actually look up. Bringing your friend to church without the word of God being preached and them receiving it will not open their eyes. And us receiving the word and then putting it in some sort of date that we were saved, hold on till heaven, and a timeline in between where we never seek God again, we will only see partially. So how do we look up? And the simple answer. This is the, the, the elementary 101 sermon of the year. We need to read the Bible and pray. <laughs> We need to be washed by the word, not simply on Sundays, but the word washes us so that we can see God clearly as revealed to us through his word. And we need to look up. Believers were, were just a couple steps ahead of the unbelieving world. We get saved and then we just look around. And we scroll and we look left to right. We look at each other. We look at our news feeds. You want answers to the confusing times that we, look, that we live in? Spend time with God. And so as we point all of this to prayer, it's only fitting that we end with a prayer in the word that points us to a deeper revelation granted by prayer, given to us by the power of God in prayer. Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. It says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And then he says this, that the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your soul would be enlightened, would be given light, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? He says, I'm so grateful you know Jesus. Now I'm going to pray that you know him more. I'm so glad that you are a saint qualified to be in the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to pray that you would have more vision of who God is in your life. And he breaks it down into three very practical things for us to say, Lord, I see partially but I want to see fully. It says the hope of the calling. 
the hope of your calling in Christ. You get saved and you believe in the power of the cross to forgive your sin. And here's the reality for good works that were prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And so now everything in your life is filtered through the vision of your call from God. That every detail of your life, the, the shining light of his call on your life is exposing what you were made for, why this person is in your life. The trials that you go through, all part of the calling to glorify God and experience the joy of knowing him. And then he says the riches of the inheritance, that you would have that enlightened, that you would know him more. If you have given your life to Christ, you have life eternal. And yet we see life eternal partially, don't we? Especially young people. I feel so bad for you. You think you're going to live forever. I used to think that. Then I turned 40. <laughs> I'm like sore all the time. But you've got to see the hope of heaven. The inheritance that you have, every spiritual blessing under heaven belongs to you. Your name is written on the book of life. You're going to meet the creator and judge of the world, and he's going to say, well done, faithful servant. And we, we look at all of that, and then we think, I want to make a little more money in my job. I'll do anything to get there. The reality of the treasures in heaven should inform all of our vision. The inheritance of the saint more clearly. And then he says, the greatness of his power. Oh, we see it about this much. I'm convinced that when we all meet the Lord face to face, we will be so in awe of all of his power. In fact, if you interact with the living God on this side of eternity, I can predict how you would respond. You would fall to your knees in fear of him because he's so powerful. He creates heaven and earth with a word. He reveals his power by laying down his life and then picking it back up again. The power to conquer the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? We should be mocking the fear of the world. But we only see it dimly. I'm going to end with a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly lit your calling, your inheritance, the power all of the ways God is working everything together for good in your life. It's like you have a small reflection. Know that the God of all glory sees so far beyond your understanding. And he is good and he is gracious. In humility, we say, God, I know in part, but I trust you still. Now I know in part, but then I will know him just as I am. Now we know in part then we will know him just as we are. So as we close, we say to the two audience, to the two living parables, to the Pharisees who were blinded by the God of this age, you are here to have your blinded spiritual heart and the eyes opened. The preaching of the word has been given to you freely so that you would know God loves you. He died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. You are no longer unclean under the righteousness of Christ. You are brought in and forgiven and part of the family of God. If your eyes are open to that reality, even in partial sight, you can see it like a dim tree. Take communion with us. 
And for those of you who are the parable of the disciple, remember that you see in part. Remember that his mercies are new every morning, day by day. His faithfulness is great. And tomorrow, through the power of his word and you looking up to the heavens for the wisdom that comes from above, he will reveal more to you. So seek him and trust him and take communion with your inheritance, the might of his power, and your heavenly calling in view.